Good morning, everyone, and man, what a great day. A big Give Sunday is always a great day in the life of our church, but I just have to say, man, my heart is really full. Is your heart full uh, this morning? Uh, I remember in 2019, we said, God, you know, it got put in our heart to, to, to plant churches uh, that would really make a difference and make disciples. And, uh, and we said, God, you know, it'd just be awesome if you could man, it, it raise up nine churches in five years. I mean, if we could just do that, I mean, that would just be over the top, nine churches in five years. And here we are in 2023 with 22 churches now all over the world. Can we just celebrate that? What God is doing. Hey, he's doing that through you. He's doing that through your giving, through your sacrifice, for your, through your generosity. God is doing it and it is happening. And this week we had just an amazing time with our church planters through our global summit uh, where we brought a lot of them, not all of them could make it in, of course, but, but most of them came in and we just got to invest in these people and just love them. Many of them are in very difficult parts around the world and just to pour into them and worship with them and pray over them that God would continue to use them in a, in a really great way. And they left with just a lot of rejoicing and a lot of gratitude uh, for you. Uh, you know, I've learned something over the years I really believe this is true, that when you step forward in faith and really trust God, and you're, you know, you're walking in obedience, right? You're doing what you know he wants. Then you can expect the unexpected, right? You can expect that God's gonna do something outside of what you thought, and it's gonna be bigger than what you thought or, or different than what you thought and more significant than what you thought. You just have to expect the unexpected. And that's what I wanna talk about uh, this morning all right, expecting the unexpected. Get your Bible and open up with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is where we are today. Uh, just kind of set the table for what we're going to talk about. Uh, for the first eight or so years, the gospel has been pretty much confined to Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. Most of the believers that have come to faith in Jesus were Jewish believers. However, persecution has now come and, and that the gospel is being flushed out of the city and into the surrounding areas of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to other parts of the world. Uh, the book of Acts roughly uh, is, is about a year per chapter. So if we're in chapter 10, we're about a decade into the gospel uh, going out. And we're going to encounter a man today named Cornelius and how God used this man as a key to getting the gospel to the nations, okay? Now, I understand that this is a long text, right? There's a, there's a long story, like 60-something verses, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my way through it. I did pretty good on time last, Sunday, uh, last service, so I think we're okay. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move through it pretty quickly, but I want to give you some main ideas to hang your thoughts on as we go, okay? So I want you to get your paper out, pen out. I want to give you some of these thoughts. Here's the first one I want you to write down. Being good is not good enough. Being good is not good enough. And we're in Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. And this is the word of God, Amen. Uh, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius, 
Staring at him in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? And the angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants, a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. And after explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, the story begins with this man named Cornelius. And Cornelius was a soldier in the Roman army. He was a part of a unique group, an elite battalion called the Italian Regiment. He was, uh, he was a centurion. That means he was over 100 men. So he was a man of leadership, a man of responsibility. He was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. That is someone who's not a Jew, okay? He was a Roman, which was everything the Jews hated in the time because they were the superpower. They were uh, the oppressing force. They were the occupying force in Jerusalem. But what we do know about this man is that he was stationed in Caesarea. Now, Caesarea was a major capital city in the north part of Israel. King Herod built Caesarea Maritima. You can still go visit it today. Uh, when he built it, he built massive structures, great arenas and amphitheaters. Uh, he built uh, concrete that you could put underground and establish big lighthouses and massive infrastructure and so on. His palace, of course, was here. So this, for about 650 years, this was a centerpiece in the northern Judea area. And this is where Cornelius was stationed. Now, what do we know about Cornelius? Well, we know that he was, uh, even though he was a Gentile, he feared God. He was what they called a God-fearer, meaning that he believed in the God of the Bible and, and, and loved and wanted to worship the God of the Bible, okay? He also was a man of great benevolence. He gave a lot to the Jewish people and helped them, and he was a man of prayer. In fact, we see him at three o'clock in the afternoon, which was one of the stated times for the Jewish people to pray. Here he is praying. And while he's praying, he has this visitation of an angel that appears toward him. I would say that's unexpected. Would you agree with that? Uh, most of you probably did not have that this week uh, when you were in your prayers. You didn't have an angel show up, but he had this unexpected visitation. And the angel said, Cornelius, listen, I, I know who you are. I know what you're praying. I know what you've done, but you need to send someone to go get a man named Peter because he has a message for you. And right off the bat, we're confronted with a very uncomfortable truth, a very uncomfortable truth. That your good isn't good enough. You say, well, where do you get that? Because the angel, when the angel came to him, listen to what he did not say. The angel did not say, Cornelius, you're so sincere in your faith. That's surely good enough. Or Cornelius, you're so benevolent and good with your time and your money. That's certainly good enough. Or, or you believe in God. Well, that's certainly good enough. No, he, he didn't say any of that. He said, I see that, but you need something else. And that reminds us of the reality of the Bible that every person is lost and needs a Savior. Every person is lost and needs a Savior. We, we just got to remind ourselves of that truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. And no one, listen to these words, no one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts chapter uh, 4 verse 12, he says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2, uh, 5 and 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. It's very clear throughout the Bible that salvation only comes through Christ. And that's why it's uncomfortable because a lot of times when we think about our lost neighbor or our, our, our friend that we have at work or at school or, or somebody that we know in our family, we think, but you know, they're just such a good person, right? Man, they're, they're more generous than more, most Christians I know. They're, they're more devout than most Christians I know. They pray more than most Christians I know. Surely they're okay. But the story of Cornelius drives home the truth, the uncomfortable reality that being good is simply not good enough. It's not good enough to make you right with God. It's not good enough to get you to heaven. It's not good enough to reconcile you to God. You need something more than your own goodness. You say, well, what is that? What do I need that's more than that? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's the second thing I want you to write down. And that is this. Every person needs the gospel. Every person needs the gospel. Now, the, the scene is going to shift from Cornelius's house up in Caesarea in the north, and it's going to shift down to a town called Joppa that's about 30 miles south on the same shoreline in Israel. Let's pick it up in verse 9. The next day, as they were traveling nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon, and he came, became hungry and wanted to eat, and while he was preparing something, he fell into a trance, and he saw a heaven open and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lured by its four corners to the earth, and in it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth, and the birds of the sky. And a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure or ritually unclean. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times and suddenly the object was taken away up into heaven. So here is Peter and he is, uh, he's in Joppa. He's hanging out, it's noon, it's time to eat, he's getting hungry. And uh, he decides to go up on the roof, which in that time they had a lot of flat roofs. Still today they have flat roofs. And so many of them would decorate them and have places to hang out and lay out, kind of like a patio. He was up there, he's kind of resting himself before lunch. And he has this vision, okay? He's having a vision, right? It is like this blanket, like a sheet thing coming down with all these animals in it. He hears kill and eat. And he's like, no, 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 Lord, I, I can never do that because he understood that there were kosher rules, right? There were certain rules that you couldn't eat certain foods. They were, they were not acceptable. They were not ritually clean. And yet God tells him, don't call anything impure that I have made clean. Now this happens three different times. I don't know, have you ever eaten anything that uh, you, you wish you hadn't have eaten? All right. 
I remember one time I was in, years ago I was in Bosnia and I was up in the hill country or up in the mountains in a remote little village. I mean, little bitty buildings, little bitty houses. Uh, this family invited us in. I had to stoop to go in through the front door. We sat down in this one room house. This lady was so nice. She cut us some bread and some cheese and fed us. And then she asked us a question. I asked my interpreter, what did she say? She said, do you want any yogurt? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's no froyo anywhere close. Right? Pretty sure there's none of that. And I'm like, I don't think so. And the guy right next to me said, we'll take two. And I looked at him and I was like, what are you doing? And the guy next to me was a doctor and he said, I'll give you a penicillin shot when we get back to the, back to the camp. <laughs> but I was pretty sure when that went in, it wasn't going to end well. Okay? I just, you know, you just know when you eat something, it's not going to be good. Well, that, that was Peter's mind. I can't put that in my mouth. That's, that's unclean. That's not right. That's not good. And God said, no, 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 Peter, I'm trying to teach you a lesson. See, God wasn't teaching Peter about his food. He was dealing with Peter about his heart. You see, Peter had grown up believing that there were certain kinds of people that were just beyond reach. That the, God was for the Jewish people in Peter's mind, but, but not for everybody else. The nations were too far gone. They were too distant. They were too removed. They were the problem. And, and, and God was good for me, but not for them. And, and Peter had some, some prejudice. And really what happened was God was just deconstructing Peter's prejudice, his own prejudice. Let me, this is a great point, great spot to stop right here and just make a very important statement that there is no place for prejudice in the church of Jesus Christ. There's no place. The Bible says that it doesn't matter uh, what your skin color is or your culture is or your background is or how much money you make or how educated you are. It doesn't matter your gender, anything like that, that every person is, is fallen from God. Every person needs the grace of God that comes to us in Christ. And when we are saved, man, we're just all one big family in Christ Jesus. Every nation, every tongue, every culture, that's what heaven's going to be like, folks. That's what it's going to be like. And there's no place. And maybe what we need to do is we need to begin to deconstruct our own prejudice. And maybe certain kinds of people we look on the outside and we say, well, that, that person, they're way too far gone. This week, I got to be reconnected with a friend of mine I've known for many years. Gibson is a, one of our first church planters we ever had in our church. He planted Ridgeline Community Church in Philadelphia over 10 years ago. He is now multiplying that church to another church, and we're super excited about what God's doing with him. But he brought a friend, Dave, with him. I'd never met Dave before, but Dave has an interesting story. Dave's background was he was very far from God and very in a dark place. Dave had a lot of alcoholism in his life, a lot of drugs, a lot of very severe drugs like heroin and so on. Uh, he's, he spent many years strung out. In fact, Gibson said it wasn't uncommon to come onto the church parking lot and there'd be Dave strung out, you know, in the parking lot. If you looked at Dave, he's all tatted up, pierced up. You looked at Dave, you thought, man, this guy is, he's too far gone. But through a series of circumstances, Gibson went to Dave's house and there he shared the gospel 
with Dave. And on that day, the spirit of God moved in Dave's heart and Dave gave his life to Christ and God began to break these chains of addiction and God began to break these chains of this occultic demonic influence that was in his life. God began to set him free from a lot of that. Gibson started discipling him and Dave began growing in his faith, loving the Lord more and more and more. Change was happening in his life. All of a sudden, Dave now has become a leader in their church and he's sharing his testimony that God can reach anybody. God can change anybody. And now Dave is preparing to to be a church planter, uh, to plant a church with that great uh, testimony. In fact, he's still got his tats and some of his piercings. He said, I know when you look at me, I look like I want to mug you, but I really just want to hug you, is what he said. (laughs) But, but, but it's just a great reminder. If you would have seen Dave strung out in the parking lot, you never said, oh, there's a good church planter prospect. <laughs> but God can change anybody. That's the power of the gospel. And we should never forget that. We never should forget that. Being good isn't good enough, but every person needs the gospel. Look at verse 17. What happens? Verse 17. It says, Peter, while... Uh, while Peter was deeply perplexed about the vision that he had, uh, he had seen might mean right away the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. And they called out asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was thinking about this vision, the Spirit told him, these men are here looking for you. Get up, go down and go with them with no doubts at all because I have sent them. Obviously, he's waking up from this vision. What does this mean? These animals and what is God saying? He knows there's a meaning to this vision. And all of a sudden, now these people are wanting to take you to this guy's house. And so clearly, God is at work. Look at verse 24. The following day, he entered Caesarea. Peter's now gone with them to Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was expecting them and had called together relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell on his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, stand up. I myself am also a man. It's just really interesting. Here's Cornelius. You know, he's got the whole family together, all the friends together. This man that the angel told us to go get is here. And then when Peter walks in the door, he doesn't know what to do, but just fall on his knees in worship because this must be a really important guy. And Peter just grabs him by the shoulder and pulls him up, says, stand up on your feet. I'm just a man just like you. And that's significant because I remember years ago going to uh, Rome. And when I was in Rome, I, I visited the Vatican. Many of you have probably been to Rome and, and visited the Vatican. There's a, a the big statue of Simon Peter that's there. And uh, if you'll notice there that people come by, they'll touch his feet. And so many people, think about it, so many thousands of people, maybe millions of people have touched his feet that the foot now has become... Uh, disfigured. You can't even notice it as a foot anymore. Think how many people would have to just touch it to cause that kind of change. Touching it for a blessing, touching it for forgiveness, touching it for in some act of veneration. I wonder what Peter would say about that. I think Peter would say, man, I'm just a guy. (laughs) I'm just a guy with a message. I'm a guy with a message that could change your life. And so here is Peter, he's, he's ready to give uh, the message, all right? Uh, look at verse 27, while talking with him, 
He went in and found a large gathering of people. And Peter said to them, you know, it is forbidden for a Jewish man to associate or visit with a foreigner, but God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That is why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So may I ask you why you sent for me? I want you to underline that key phrase there in verse 28. But God has shown me I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's the big idea. That's the key to this passage. He's like, all of a sudden, I, I had this weird dream, and now this guy's here, and I'm going to Cornelius' house, who's a Gentile, and what is God saying? God is revealing to me that he's doing something new, that God's doing something unexpected, that everybody needs the gospel. Everybody needs the gospel. Listen to me very carefully. I want your eyes up here. I want you to hear my heart on this, all right? I'm your pastor, and I love you, all right? So hear me. We must not, as a church, we must not become so comfortable with our, our church family and our fellowship and our programs and all the things that we love about our church. We're so comfortable that we are content to just stay here and enjoy one another while the rest of the world goes to hell. We cannot do that. We must not do that. We have an obligation to take the gospel that has changed our lives and make sure we get it out there. We, we are obligated. We have, we've been entrusted with the gospel. Paul tells Timothy, guard the good deposit that has been put in your hands. Guard the gospel that has been given to you and make sure that you get it out. Just like Peter had to deconstruct some things and get out of his comfort zone, we have to get out of our comfort zone and do things differently to be used by God in the way that would bring him glory. Listen, people that are good, it's just not good enough. Every person needs the gospel. And that leads us to the third thing I want you to write down. The gospel is all about Jesus. The gospel is all about Jesus. Now, Peter's about to preach, all right? So here we go. He's, I'm gonna read you his sermon. He's standing there, the house is packed. Everybody's there like, okay, what's this guy gonna say? This angel told him to come here. What's he gonna say? Verse 34, Peter began to speak. Now, I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout Judea, beginning, with the, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how we went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did both in the Judean country and in Jerusalem and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, 
everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. This is a great sermon, right? This is an awesome sermon. And the sermon is all about Jesus. 16 times, either Jesus is mentioned directly or him or he is referring to Jesus. 16 times, the whole thing is about Jesus. And it's a good reminder, the gospel is not about my opinion. It's not about your opinion. It's not about traditions. It's all about Jesus. And just look at what he does here as he unpacks uh, the gospel. He talks about the essentials of the gospel, that Christ came, that he died on a cross, that he rose again on the third day. He talks about the evidence of the gospel, that all the people, all the prophets have testified that this would happen. He talks about the exclusivity of the gospel, that the gospel is is through the name of Jesus and that Jesus alone is the judge of the living and the dead. He talks about the universality of the gospel that is for everyone, all people, all nations, all, all cultures can find forgiveness through Jesus Christ. But he also talks about the acceptance of the gospel that it is only efficacious through those who believe, who turn to him in saving faith. And then lastly, he talks about the promise of the gospel that those who believe in Christ receive forgiveness of sins. This is the gospel. This is the simple gospel message. No, no flashy illustrations, no big uh, visuals here, just the gospel about Jesus. And this is what we're obligated to share. You know, when we had our church planters in this week, Robin, who's one of our church planters in New York City, he spent the last 10 years in some of the poorest parts of Harlem, sharing the gospel, going into high-rise apartment buildings and telling people about Christ. And he said, I am always amazed at how many people have still never heard the gospel. He said, I'm just amazed that so many people still have never, ever heard of the gospel. Romans 1.14, write that in the margin of your Bible. Romans 1.14, I am obligated both to Greeks and to barbarians, to the wise and the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Paul said, I've got an obligation here. I, I've got something entrusted to me. I've got an obligation to get it out. And you're like, well, that's great for Paul. You know, he was a he was an apostle, right? I mean, that's good for Paul, but not me. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> Have you heard about the Great Commission? All right, go and make disciples of all nations. That's you and me. So we have a shared obligation and a shared joy and privilege to tell people about the man who can change their life, Jesus Christ. That's really what the Big Give is all about. In the Big Give, every penny that is going to the big give that you give here. Every cent goes toward getting the gospel out in these key regions in Africa. It will go toward uh, raising up and supporting church planters. It will go toward building church buildings and villages where they have absolutely no church. We have churches on every corner around here. They have no church. It will go toward funding outreach evangelistic events where literally thousands of people are going to hear the gospel as a result of your gifts. It's going to go toward uh, developing hubs and centers of church planting training in Zambia and in Burkina Faso. And it's going to, going to also go toward 
desperate relief efforts in Israel where our church planters now are, are cooking up meals, handing out 400, 500 meals a day to soldiers literally in trenches in the name of Jesus Christ. So as you give, you know, I, I tell you this all the time. I, this is my favorite line. I love to use it in November, okay? I, I say, I don't talk about money any time of the rest of the year, and you know that's true, but in November, I unashamedly ask you to give more than you think you should because all of it's gonna go to getting the gospel out. This is our obligation. You see, being good isn't good enough. That everyone needs the gospel, and the gospel is all about Jesus and the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. But I want you to write one more thought down from this story. And that is the spirit moves when you obey. The spirit moves when you obey. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. You get that? Like, what is happening? The Gentiles? Really? Yes, really. Uh, verse 46, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter said, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Very important line, underline that. Verse 48, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay a few days. You know, it's really fascinating as Peter's preaching the sermon, like he doesn't even get through it, I don't think. He's just like in the middle of the sermon, all of a sudden, man, the spirit of God starts to move on these people and they're like shocked because here are these, you know, these, these Gentile Roman people are turning to faith in Jesus Christ. And it's a total seismic shift in their way that they understood how God worked. They always thought God's only for the Jew and not for anybody else. And all of a sudden they realize the gospel is for everyone. It's for everyone. And, and they're just taken back by that. And it's also a great reminder that the spirit of God is the one uh, that is at work in salvation right? It's the spirit that convicts us and calls us. It's the spirit of God that seals us and sanctifies us. It's the spirit of God that empowers us and energizes us for the good work. It's all a work of the Holy Spirit. And the same, listen to me, the same spirit that was working in them is the same spirit that's now working in you and in me. It's the same spirit that's working right here we celebrate this family today that has uh, given their life to Christ from Iran and that has heard the gospel and given their life to Christ. And we celebrate that. The nations are open to the gospel. We're celebrating every family today that, that's hearts are open to the gospel and, and come for being baptized. What a joy, what a delight. But let me tell you what, God's also at work in Africa. I've told you this story before, but I, I, wanna, I wanna nail it down again. In Burkina Faso, they've suffered greatly due to Islamic terrorists that will come in and shoot up villages and kill many Christians. And it has become so insufferable that the, the, pres the president of the country of Burkina called a national day of prayer to call out to God uh, that he would move and somehow remove this suffering from them and when he decided to call one man to lead the nation in prayer he called pastor henry pastor henry is one of our church planters and uh 
God is using him in a great way. In fact, Pastor Henry is, is here in the service right now. He does probably don't want me to point him out, but he's sitting right over there. Pastor Henry, stand up and wave to everybody just so everybody can see, all right? Come on, folks, give it up for Pastor Henry right there. And so here he is leading the nation in prayer. In fact, these people right here, this is the, the minister of defense uh, in the fatigues and next to him, the minister of foreign affairs with their hands lifted up, crying out to Jesus Christ. And you know what has been happening? God's been moving. God's answering his prayers. These, these prayers, God's been moving. He said all of a sudden there are terrorists that are throwing down their weapons and say, we don't wanna kill in the name of religion anymore. We wanna know about Jesus. They're, they're seeing refugees that have been fleeing the outskirts of the city and now coming into the interior. And they're saying, we want to hear more about the gospel. And we're seeing people flooding into the country, wanting to hear about the gospel. They, they can't keep up with all the need of getting the gospel out. And so when we're saying, hey, when you give to the big give, you're, we're obligated. Hey, we're just pouring fuel on what the Spirit of God is already doing in this very moment. This is time sensitive. You understand that? I mean, windows open open and windows close and we have to be able to move when the window is open and so it is our delight and joy to give generously um, over the top because we know we're getting the gospel out and when we do that the spirit of God is going to move in powerful ways listen our church in our church we want to expect the unexpected don't we we never expected 22 church plants around the world. I just think we're getting started. I think God's gonna take that and just turn that curve up. I think it's gonna be beyond what any of us can possibly imagine because God's about getting the gospel out. But for us to expect the unexpected, we have to embrace these basic truths that being good is not good enough, that every person needs the gospel, that the gospel is all about Jesus. And when we get the gospel out, that the spirit of God is gonna move And so you participating today in giving as the Spirit leads you, you're participating in what God is doing right now around the world. Won't you bow your heads with me for just a minute? There are two responses to this message. The first response is to give your life to Christ. To give your life to Christ. And maybe you're here today and you're like Cornelius. You say, well, I'm a good person. You know, I believe in God and you know, I read the Bible um, and I, you know, I, I try to be a nice person and help other people and you know, I try to be a good person. But this morning you've been confronted with the truth that being good isn't good enough. That you need Christ. Just like Cornelius needed the gospel and when he responded in faith to the gospel, that's when his life changed. That's when he became acceptable to God. Maybe you've been trusting in your own goodness, but you don't realize that you need Jesus. And right now the Holy Spirit is convicting you of that. And you begin to realize, man, I, I do need Christ. And you've never given your life to Christ before. You can't point to a time when Jesus forgave you and changed your life. And today is that day. And my friend, today, the response to this message is for you to say yes to Jesus. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, in just a minute, I'm going to pray a simple prayer of faith. And you can follow me in that prayer and, and turn from your sin. And in repentance, turn to Jesus and ask him to forgive you and to save you.
In fact, I want to do that right now with your heads bowed, nobody looking around. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, God's moving in my heart. I, I don't think that I'm right with God, but I want to be right with God. I want to know for sure when I leave today that I'm right with God. I want to give my life to Christ. They're just with everybody's head bowed, I want you to just lift up your hand and I'll see your hand. I'm not going to call you out, but I will see your hand and I will lead you in a prayer right where you're seated to receive Christ. Lift up your hand right now. Pastor, I need Christ in my life. I want to know for sure that I'm right with God. I want to give my life to Christ. I don't know for sure that I'm right, but I want to be right. Lift it up just where I can see it. Pastor, pray for me, okay? All right, thank you. Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus in my life. I need Jesus in my life. All right. Anybody else, don't hesitate. The Spirit of God's moving in your heart. Now is the time. Why would you wait? All right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, put your hand down right where you are. Just right where you are. Just pray the simple prayer with me. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way. And I know I'm lost without you. But I believe Jesus died on a cross for me. And he rose again. And so I'm asking you now, please forgive me of my sin. I turn from my old life. And I choose to follow Jesus. Lord, wipe me clean. Wash me clean. Make me new. Today I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Amen. Just look up here. Listen, the Bible says if anyone calls on the name of the Lord, he'll be saved. And if you raise your hand, or maybe didn't, but you prayed that in your own heart, that's the beginning of your walk with God. And we want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord. So the first response is giving your, your life to Christ. The second response is giving all that you are to the Lord. And maybe you're a believer, but the big give is always an opportunity to say, you know, is he Lord? Am I giving as I should to the things of God? Not just to things that are going to benefit us, but to those that will benefit eternal rewards through your generosity and through your giving. So today is our Big Give Day. If you brought a gift uh, to give to the Lord, you can drop those in those wooden boxes at the exits. Uh, If not, you're still praying about it, great. Just continue to pray about it. And you can continue to give from this day till the end of the year. But but I want us to consecrate ourselves to God. Say, God, we want to live our lives with an open hand to you, God. We want you to have all that we have. We want to channel it wherever you are and wherever you lead. So would you just stand with me right where you are and let's pray together. Dear Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. Lord, you are the God who gives. You are the one who gave us faith and hope in Jesus. You gave your only son for us. You have given us your spirit to live within us. Lord, every good and perfect thing comes from you. What do we have that you have not given us? Our health, our strength, our families, our work, the things that we possess, the things that we own. God, all of it's yours. It all belongs to you, God.
and you've just put it in our hands as a stewardship. So Lord, as we see what you're doing, God, stir up in our hearts generosity to give, to be a part of what you're doing, knowing that we're sowing seeds that will reap a harvest of many people to come to faith, knowing that we are laying up treasure in heaven as we give to your cause. Lord, stir up in our hearts generosity to give joyfully, knowing in great faith that you're going to use it for kingdom purposes. Lord, it's our delight and our joy, Lord, to receive and to give. And so I pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace. I love you. God bless you. Have a great week.